0: Namu Hara Buddha, Hara Buddha, Samma Sam Buddha Sa. Namu Hara Buddha, Hara Samma Sam Buddha Sa. Namu Hara Buddha, Lovely to see you all here this evening and i um probably the those of you that are here on our annual summer retreat uh some of you at least will not be aware that uh, we have a a a practice here of the first sunday of the month uh Menendo gives a dhamma reflection on the dhamma verse that is featured on this month's calendar page and so Here we are, the first Sunday of the month. And also Ajahnapinanda has a cold and he probably doesn't mind if he has a break for one night. Uh, I'm sure he'll be better tomorrow. So this month's uh, verse, uh, as probably at least some of you will have read on the calendar, is that uh, marvellous stanza, the second First in the whole Dhammapada, all states of being are determined by mind. It is mind that leads the way. As surely as our shadow never leaves us, so well-being will follow when we speak or act with a pure state of mind. It's the, uh, the first chapter, the first section of the Dhammapada, which is called The Pairs, And uh, this is the second one of those pairs, and most of you, I expect, will recognise it. And personally, I I find it a very uplifting and inspiring verse, and uh, something that I am sure I came across very early on in my uh, my life as a Buddhist. I don't remember exactly when, but it's just the sort of thing that I wanted to know. And this is because I somehow. As soon as I read it, oh yeah, that's true. It's mind that matters. It's the mind, it's the heart, or it's consciousness. And mano, uh, how we translate that into English is depending on your, your education and your preferences. And different translators will call it mind or heart. It might be suitable to call it consciousness. Yeah. Consciousness is what matters most in terms of our experience of life. The state of our consciousness, that uh, whatever's going on around us, yeah. that's sort of important, obviously, to some degree. But even if uh, everything going on around us is utterly agreeable on the sensual level, if the heart is not at ease, if the heart is troubled, if the mind is disturbed, then so what? Uh, I remember my first uh, meditation retreat. In fact, I would say probably the reason I became a Buddhist monk was the first meditation retreat I did. There's all all sorts of other reasons I became a Buddhist monk, like I ran out of money in Thailand and and, uh, other less virtuous uh, reasons. But uh, my astrological configuration, my genetic inheritance, you know, all my family are all preachers, my karmic inheritance, who knows. But the most obvious reason for me for becoming a monk was that first meditation retreat I did in Nimbin, Australia, northern New South Wales in, I think, 1972. And uh, on the third day of that meditation retreat, I remember just walking up and down on the road. I can still remember where it was. We spent two, and this was the third day, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, keeping the eight precepts, just like you're all doing here. No talking, no eye contact, no eating in the evening, no entertainment, no distraction, just focusing. Focusing on the breath. Walk, focusing on the feet, moving. And on the third day at the retreat, something happened. I mean, something, it felt like something dropped. and Just walking up. and I just, There was this perception came to the mind. There's just awareness or there's just knowing. And that was new. And then my questioning mind that came up with a question said, so, but who knows there's just awareness? And then it phew, dropped a little further still, which was very nice, very agreeable. And the way I the image that came to my mind of that experience was everything else I'd done up until that point that helped me try and find happiness contentment, well-being, yeah. the point, you know, all the the mantra yoga, the hatha yoga, The I won't bore you with all the details of the experiments to try and find something meaningful. What became clear at that point was it's how you focus the mind. It's not just what you're looking at. It's not like the image of a camera is what came to my mind was, you know, you've got a great camera, you, what you're looking at is sort of important, but if you really know how to focus and frame what you're looking at, you can make something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, the converse to that is it doesn't matter how stunning the sight you may be looking at if your focus is not clear. So seeing with some clarity was for me uh, clearly the point. And so this, this is very much to do with this verse, or these two verses, actually. Yeah. Yeah. All states of being are determined by mind. It is mind that leads the way. As surely as our shadow never leaves us, so well-being will follow if we speak or act with a wholesome state of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's so inspiring, if I find, to reflect on this, like you can, on a retreat like this at the moment... You know, the first few days in particular, you know, a little bored, and maybe a little restless. And the momentum of worldliness is still perhaps lingering around. and so All you have to do is just do something wholesome. Just one moment of wholesomeness and you can have confidence that that's potential happiness. You don't even have to go and do anything physically or verbally. The story that's behind this verse is um, of a, a young man, a teenager, who was... Very ill and in fact dying, and he was out on the, the porch of the house that he lived in. And the Buddha went by on arms round, and this young man turned. Well, maybe he was just facing that direction because he was so debilitated, he was so nearly dead already, that he just happened to see the Buddha. And he, he, he had faith in what he saw, what he knew, what he recognized. He had faith in the Buddha. He couldn't say anything, he couldn't do anything, but even just the mind state of faith yeah. was what actually gave him what he needed. At that point he died and the story goes that he was reborn in, uh, was it Tusi to heaven or Tawatingsa, one of those lovely places anyway. And so if we can reflect on this, you know, having a bad time, certainly there's things we can do, we can give things, say things, uh, or we can even just think things, you know, just thinking a good thought, or even exercising restraint, you know, sitting on meditation, there's nothing going, and the, the mind starts dwelling on, you know, oh, how much more do I have to put up with? And, well, actually, I I'll could. just be patient. That's a wholesome state of mind. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be patient. And just giving rise to that wholesome state of mind, we can have confidence that that is future well-being. Yeah. As sure as our shadow never leaves us, well-being will follow if we act or speak yeah. or think. Yeah. Act by like physically, verbally or mentally from a wholesome state. And you can try it, you know, when the sun is shining. Hopefully it will again in the next few days. You can try escaping from your shadow, walking down the road and see if you can escape from your shadow. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You can use this to encourage us with our well-being, <clears throat> Because the worldly way, of course, is that we need more goodies, you know. We need more, new, more clothes or I, what is it? iPad now. No, not an iPhone or iPod, but a new iPad or, or a new holiday or whatever, new car. <clears throat> That's what the, the world is convinced by the appearance of the senses. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, mental impression and tri- in reality are just so. But because of our intoxication, because of our delusion, because of ignorance, we think that this really is going to give us what we're looking for. So we give our energy out and and we become weak in the process. And yeah. But with this, actually, we come back and we find where the real ability is you know, to take responsibility for this. And the, to consider verse, one as all, verse 2, it's also um, very... Uh, worthwhile considering contemplating verse 1 which you probably all know, all states of being are determined by mind, it is mind that leads the way just as the wheel of the ox cart follows the hoof print of the animal that draws it so suffering will follow if we speak or act from an unwholesome state of mind just as the wheel of the ox cart will follow the hoof print of the animal that draws it now you know that was 2,500 years ago. The Buddha came up with that image. I'm sure you can come up with something a little bit more up to date, but the principle still holds. That... Now, w- when you hear this, as probably um, I expect all of you will have you know, the first verse in the Dhammapada, party, think, "Well, well, that's obvious. You know, it's mind that matters. I have got to get this right. That's what we're all here for, because we trust this. We don't really, tr- we're not really convinced by." the way of the world, like getting more things or, or getting more information. That's the other thing. That's you know, just as, it, well, perhaps not quite as, as gross as wanting more or better food or a better car, but it can be. You know, just I need more information. I need more ideas. Mm. And what we really need is less greed, aversion and delusion. In terms of Dhamma, what we really need is less, is not more. So if we contemplate these two verses there's one and two the Dhammapada what comes clear to me what what is evident is that uh, practice you can see practice very simply in terms of just becoming more honest. Really it's just being more honest with ourselves because we do forget although we think it's obvious you know, we have a good motivation, we act on it, there will be well being we have a bad motivation, we act on it, there will be suffering. We can give ourselves to that. we trust that principle, but we do really forget, don 't we? We really do forget, and we we give our ability away, whereas we reflect on this verse, we can we get our ability back again. We see where the real the real source of ability is what where, where Where do we need to focus? How do we need to focus? to find contentment. I'm sure you don't all spend your time watching Skyview, but these things do have a big impact on determining the culture that we all move in. So thankfully we have this Buddhist culture also, the spiritual culture, which we can touch into or associate ourselves with or live in, which actually goes against that. Saying, no, it's not out there, it's not in getting indignant. It's... uh, the number of times you, you hear people say, oh, "I am so so angry about this," as if it's some sort of virtue. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed that it's just, it seems to happen more and more. Maybe it's always been that way. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little bit more aware than I used to be. But it seems to people people are getting off on being angry. I mean, we all know that the world has always worshipped greed. That's always obvious. And by the world, by the way, I'm not talking about the world outside the monastery. I'm not talking about that, that's that's not the world. The world, in the Buddhist sense, the world means that psychological state that believes that contentment can be found in gratification of desire. The mind that is convinced by the world of the senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touches, and mental impression. That's the world. And so somebody who is sunk in the world, drowning in the world, lost in the world, believes that they need more and that's always been the case. But also there's this thing of like getting off on being indignant. And I, I recognize this myself. Yeah, I, I, uh... I can acknowledge I still have to work very hard to not get off on righteous indignation when you see something really unjust and go, huh? <laughs> the heat comes up and you get all hot and agitated, and you feel so righteous and so mm, mm. <laughs> so good and pleased with yourself. You know, for a moment, I can feel really, hmm, I'm really somebody by getting off on hating somebody else. That's not, you know, if I'm really honest, if I'm really in touch with what the Buddha is saying, the first two verses that I'm a part of, I mean, it's not exactly advanced Buddhism. <laughs> you know, the first two verses of the Dhammapada, if I'm really in touch with that, if I even have a vague understanding of that, I'm not going to be getting off on righteous indignation. I'm not going to be giving my ability away. To somebody else I'm going to be coming back here and say how does it feel when I get angry and does it bring benefit to me or to others to get angry mm-hmm. this unwholesome state of greed or aversion does it really bring benefit to me or to others now if we're honest that's all it is that's all we have to do There's nothing sophisticated we don't have to have a PhD in Buddhism or have sat you know, with this Rinpoche or that Roshi or or that Vipassana retreat or, or whatever, we just have to be honest. Actually, just honest and say, actually, does it really benefit to follow greed and aversion? And then you think, oh no, it doesn't. And that's the goodness. That's that's why that's why it's Dhamma. That's why it's Pachatang. It's it's to be seen here and now. As soon as you're honest, you are honest, say, oh yeah, oh yeah, actually, being honest feels good, even if what being honest is actually. Right now, what I do, I want to hurt you. I hate you so badly, I want to hurt you. Now, if we're really honest about that, really honest, and not just totally lost in it, that's not being really honest. That's being totally deluded. If we're really honest, we know it as a state. Right now, there is the state of ill will, aversion, resentment, indignation in my heart, in my mind, and what I want is for you to suffer. Now, if we're really honest and mindful that way, just to see that much actually feels good. It immediately feels you've got some space around it. We're no longer caught up in it. And that's wonderful. We get our energy back. We say, this is the way. This is the way of practice. Mindfulness and honesty is the way of practice. And then the increased inspiration, increased ability. And with that comes the diminishing of the worldliness, like, for instance, blaming. Yeah. Those of you on retreat here and they blaming English weather, you know. You could blame the weather or you could blame Ajnabi Nando because he makes you sit for too long. I don't know if he does, but you know, he likes sitting for a long time. And um, he likes talking for a long time as well. Maybe during one of his dumber talks. He's gone on for an hour and fifteen minutes yet again, and your knees are killing you. And instead of feeling the love and compassion and Mudita, which is suitable, directed towards Ajayapinanda, I mean, he's had to work very hard to arrive at this state for which he's able to share this virtue with you. Instead of sharing in that beauty, what do you? what's going on? He says, oh, God, Ajayapinanda, here he is again, giving another one of those talks. Yeah. Yeah. That's worldliness. That's not Dhamma. <laughs> so this is, the, this is the truth. All you have to do is be honest, yeah. And then you get some energy back. So, what happens is we stop blaming the world, other people, the environment, the government, personalities. That's interesting. Like, if you're really honest, you you meet somebody who just can't stand. As soon as that person opens their mouth, it's like fingernails down the blackboard. You know, I just, ah, you know that? I just can't stand. If you're honest, what you see is, well, actually, what I really hate in that person is what I really can't stand in myself. Because if I've really come to terms with whatever that is, if I've really come to terms with that here, and I'm okay with that condition, maybe whatever it is, you know, maybe they're just a bit thick or, or arrogant or whatever, and whatever obnoxious tendency that person is revealing, you know, if we're really okay with that and within ourselves, what do we have when we see it in another? We just have, we have equanimity and understanding. How do we do that? Well, we just have to be honest. So contemplating these verses, the one and two of the Dhammapada, I find very uplifting and inspiring. And and they they lead us towards becoming like craftsmen and craftswomen, rather than becoming masters or heroes, which sometimes we can approach practice like that. The kind of you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, kind of. Or John Wayne, if you're a little bit older, whatever. You know, the one who saves the day. I don't know who there is around these days who... You know, the younger people, they've probably got their own heroes. These guys, they, they tend to be surrounded by victims or, or casualties, heroes. Well, you could call the Buddha a great hero, but really, I think it's more like... Actually, it's like that, that Greek myth of, of Deedless, you know, Deedless and Icarus is worth thinking about you know like a craftsperson somebody who's really got skill that's why in buddhism we always talk about ubaya skillful means yeah. talking about developing skillful means agility i'm sure through this week ajin will share all sorts of skills that he's developed in his practice that's what's great about going on a retreat you, know, you encounter certain things whether it's in a a group talk or a group interview or a private interview, you say, oh, right, there are, you've got to broaden, increase your repertoire of skills, becoming more... Not, there's a funny thing about the word craftfulness. Is there such a word in English? You know, like if you say crafty, unfortunately, it means devious, doesn't it? The, um, I looked it up in the dictionary to see, is there a good word for a craftsman or a craftsperson? And crafty used to mean, in ancient English, used to mean skillful. But these days it means devious, so we can 't say becoming more crafty but that 's the last thing we want become more crafty, but uh, we do need to well, I suggest that that 's what we could we could dwell on, and, and that, for instance that <clears throat> the myth of, uh, of Deedless and Icarus Ajahn Punya and I were discussing this uh, a few weeks ago, trying to prompt ourselves on the details of it, you know, but it 's getting a little rusty and but the, if you ignore the fact that he did a few naughty things before he got exiled to Crete and uh, had to put up with that monstrous King Minos. And, 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 but then what he built is the, the labyrinth. Those of you familiar with this story, you built the labyrinth for, <clears throat> to contain the, the Minotaur, which was another unfortunate development <clears throat> in King Minos' life. And so, but then another devious activity, crafty. Behaviour on Deedlus's part, actually. Now, the person who was supposed to go in there and get consumed killed the Minotaur. And so then King Minos, very ungratefully, just kind of dumped Deedless And even more, even worse, the awful so-and-so, put his son in there, Icarus as well. Left them right in there in the labyrinth. But because Deedlus was a really craftful person, you, know, you see how he approached the situation, you yeah? The person, I forget who it was, he managed to escape by leading the thread in there, following the thread and getting out again. Well, everybody knew that Daedalus would try and get out by the way he went in, so they had a good guard on there, so he didn't even bother trying to get out by the way he got in. He thought of alternative ways. He thought of creative ways, not just a lineal way, but also a lateral way of getting out. You know the story of how he he had a a nice residence on a cliff of Crete, Remember the story? You know, the, King Minus locked him in there. He had a nice room with a view. Although he was in a labyrinth, he had a nice view over the, the ocean. And he had some candles, and the birds were flying around, and dead birds he used to collect the feathers. And and over a period of time, he managed to put together these wings. You remember that story? He put together these wings. He tried it out, and until eventually he said, yeah, we're ready to fly. And so he told Icarus, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, but just as we had to melt the wax to put the feathers into the wax and to attach them to the wood. And, you know, you've got to be careful, Icarus, when you go out there, don't get carried away, don't get too inflated, uh, and fly too close to the sun because, you know, well, the rest is history. But what's, what's worth noticing in that myth is, is the craftfulness that Deedalus applied to a situation, and that 's what we need to do if we're honest and sim- keep our practice simple, we can develop more craft in this, more skillful means, not just blindly following a technique or, or a holding to hope, you know uh, just applying some worn out method that we've been banging away at for years and hoping something good's going to come. What does it feel like to be unhappy? How do I feel about the fact that at this stage of my life, I'm really unhappy and discontented. Well, just to be honest about that, just bringing that honesty to look at this, generates a creativity which gives another sort of intelligence and totally unexpected solutions come out. Totally unexpected solutions are manifest when there's a really creative engagement in our practice. But that needs to be predicated on on strict honesty. So in terms of uh, our practice, whether as those on the retreat here or people out in everyday life or formal meditation or daily life practice, uh, I would encourage keeping, bringing it back to just being simple and honest. You know, not, not getting, not believing in the old ways not getting too carried away with being too creative either I should mention that as well because you know, if you're a bit of an artist type you can just get too carried away with being creative and not pay attention to the tried and tested techniques you know, the first few years of practice we definitely need to be applying ourselves to the tried and tested ways of, of those who have gone before us you know, we don't get too creative too quick or too carried away and uh, intoxicate about creativity then you end up like Icarus you know, you to so, remember deedless—not everything he did, but some of the things he did—and you know. keep it simple. And and the story that we have in the scriptures—you know, with the way—not the story, but the way the Buddha taught about living in the sensory realm. Yeah. For the Buddha, in the seeing, there was just seeing; in the hearing, there was just hearing. And the tasting, there was just tasting, and the touching, it was just touching, and the smelling, there was just smelling, and the cognizing, there was just cognizing. It's just so. So the Buddha had the same experiences as we do, but it was, for him, it was just so. For us, it's mm-hmm. in the seeing. There's a oh, I really like. That. I mean, that is so beautiful. That is just so cool. That is just. I mean, that wow, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is. Oh God, that is just such. That is so disgusting to look at. Isn't it? Or in the hearing, say, that pristine, the, the music. I mean, well, you've you got a new iPod or, or, or something, and the, the sound system that you've just invested in, the, I really like the quality of... You know, that's not in the hearing, That's just hearing. Yeah. Well, the tasting, say, I mean, today, the meal, I mean, my goodness. Were. How many restaurants were there represented in the, in the monastery today? New Age European, Thai, Sri Lankan you can really get off on, not to mention the fresh mangoes, where they came from. So is the tasting just tasting? Or do we always add something extra? When our practice is not simple and just so, then we're always adding something extra. Or the sensation. I you know, oh Really, the summer, well, up until few minutes ago the summer we were having some really nice weather i really like the warm weather and that's not enough feeling there is just feeling Mm. or cognizing and the cognizing is just cognizing it's just so Mm. for us it's oh my mind my god i don't know what i'm going to do with it it just doesn't stop the thinking just goes round and round and round is that in the cognizing it's just cognizing (laughs) So we are addicted to what the Buddha called propuncha. It's just like spicing everything up all the time. We're always proliferating or spicing it up. Like the food today, that was a manifestation of propuncha. Thai food is absolute propuncha. They have got spiced down, like I don't think anybody I mean, Indonesians are good. Burmese are really good. But, you know, the ties are actually over the top, quite frankly. <laughs> They've got the most sophisticated gastroenterology departments in the world because of the, what they do with spice and oil and other things in their diet. That's, that's the world. That's the world. That's where we come from. That's, it's always spicing it up. The latest story, the latest entertainment. That's the religion of the world now is sensationalism. That's the religion of the world, the most popular religion. Buddhism is about according with reality. It's about applying craftsmanship or craftswomanship, whatever the right word is. Applying the skillful means. not The worldly way is to try and force things to be my way. We want things to change. Sometimes things should change from an ideal perspective. So this really shouldn't be this way. We really should change this. Yes, we should, if we could. You know, there's some things we really should try and change in the world they 're just not right, they absolutely are not right there 's no doubt about it, but surely the question is how do we change it? Do we just come out like a hero with our guns blazing and you know invade and determine that they change to accord with our preferences, or do we apply skillful means and and be more craftsful of how we try and enable change now, the, my way the way of the of the world is I believe I am right and I should do whatever it takes to get what I want now and that I will be happy. That's the way of the world. The Buddha's way is a way of mindfulness, patience, discernment, bearing with the unendurable until we feel ready to do something by body, speech or mind. And that way is harmonious. That way accords with the way of things. And it's not surrounded by casualties like the way of a hero. So those of you on retreat, I, I, I hope you are going to make the most. I'm sure you will make the most. I and mean, you have lots of wonderful encouragement from Ajnavi Nando to free yourselves from the addiction of propancha, the addiction of proliferation, the addiction of spicing up reality. And by the end of the week, you should feel cleansed and relaxed and a lot lighter. And you go out there and the world will look a lot crazier than it already did when you left it yesterday. It really will. But also you'll have a judgment-free awareness. It means you see, oh, it's just so. Even the craziness is just so. The world's craziness, my craziness, your craziness, it's just so. Actually, if we're honest, you say, I'm crazy. Yeah, (laughs) I am. I'm not enlightened. So, you know, I'm crazy to some degree. And when you admit that you're crazy, I'm in a state of diminished responsibility. Pretty much most of the time, and, and if we can really accept that, well, then it's a lot like easier to work with. If we're still considering, "Oh, I'm really wise and I'm compassionate," and you know, that's really cruising for a bruising. I mean, that's really <laughs> you're getting into trouble. Yeah. But if we follow the Buddha's example, yeah. be patient, yeah. ask the right questions at the right time, investigation—that's the way there are many different types of meditation and people talk about meditation in different ways and sometimes people will talk about their meditation they do in the bath with the aromatherapy candles burning and uh, nice meditation music playing. Well, that can be very suitable. It's called relaxation meditation. There is a place for relaxation meditation. Lying down and breathing gently, listening to some beautiful some beautiful piano music. Or this is something really, really soothing, really just really fall into the floor and, and ease or going for a walk in the countryside and looking at the butterflies and the birds and the colours, the light coming through the green of the beech leaves. It's just that vitality and on your own and, and that's that is a form of meditation, relaxation meditation. The next stage of meditation is concentration and needing to okay give out walking around looking at the birds and the butterflies and, and uh, the light filtering through the leaves and the trees and, and turn the light of awareness inwards and actually focusing holding attention on a meditation object sitting or walking focusing on the movement or the footstep rising and falling whatever the object really limiting and this is the stage of meditation of concentration and we need to really work on that we need to really become able at that. But we need to be able at relaxation as well. You know, if we try too much concentration before we've got relaxation down, big trouble. You, know, you get really concentrated, really bright, really radiant, really energized, and kapow, up comes your neurosis and gets so thoroughly empowered that you, know, you can blow your circuitry. That's really unfortunate. You know, it happens. So we do need relaxation, but we don't need too much. <laughs> Generally, we tend to think we need too much relaxation. But then there's those heroes around who actually think that they're going to go and conquer the world and they're going to become Buddhas and going to sit here until my bones break and my blood dries up. That's what the Buddha said. None of these wimps talking about, you know, be kind and nice and gentle. That kind of wimpish practice. You know, I'm going to do the real thing and concentrate and get the jhanas and crack it. Well, yeah, I wish you well. I do. I really do wish you well. And um, we've got a first aid clinic if you need it, <laughs> when you'll need it. Yeah. So we need relaxation and we need concentration in the right amount at the right time. But both of those are really, that's really about preparation. From the Buddhist perspective, meditation is Dhamma or investigation. It's asking the right questions at the right time. Yeah. Asking, you know, you get some peacefulness, you get some tranquility. You Don't just bliss out, quietly ask the question. Who knows this peacefulness? Who knows? Hmm? Quietly. Not heroically and aggressively, trying to conquer it, just gently. Yeah. So with this kind of honesty, honesty and simplicity and consistency and kindness, which I'm sure Ajahn is going to talk more about as the week goes by, then instead of feeding this addiction to propuncha, to proliferation, to always spicing up the stories of life, you slowly fall away. These things fall away. and You, you will become more boring. You know? Any of you that are still suffering under the illusion that as you follow and develop spiritually, you're going to become more scintillating as a personality. You're not. You will become more boring. And your friends, who presently think you're interesting, they think it's really groovy that you're on a spiritual retreat right now. You know, When you come back and you're not going to the pub anymore, you won't smoke weed anymore, and you actually want to go off and meditate instead of gossip, they'll leave you. And that's also just the way it is, so we prepare ourselves for that. But that's for the later in the week. You can think about that. But as this week goes by, really see see the addiction. You know, always wanted to spice it up. The stories—that's what keeps the world of sensationalism, the religion of re- sensationalism, going. We get a copy of the Guardian Weekly here, and um, somebody sends us, and there was a story in it recently, at the time of the. Haiti earthquake, yeah, you remember? It was, wasn't that long ago, absolute screaming disaster and people all around the world were, were trying to help and there was a, a blog in Romania that produced this report that the Romanian army got on an aeroplane to go to Haiti to help out but they ended up in Tahiti on the beach And uh, there's even photos. And all these big international newspapers syndicated the story all around the world. The Romanian army ended up in Tahiti. Ha, 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 ha. It was a joke. You know, the blog that put it up. It's a a fun site. The blog always just makes joke. And then the guy who wrote it couldn't believe that anybody took it seriously. But all these big news syndicators, they didn't even check the facts. That's the world. If it's going to give a sensation, if it's going to give a hit, then let's just take it and run with it well, our minds, you know, we've been infected by that false religion. So now you've got true religion and a wonderful opportunity to practice. I really hope and I trust you will make the most of it. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <clears throat>